0: Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show.
1: Greetings. Happy Thursday. Thanks for tuning in here today, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. My name is Steve Dace. You are you. And Aaron McIntyre is here as well. 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. Feel free to email the program, steve at That's how you can email us. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. And if you're looking for clips of this show to sample and share, go to youtube.com slash stevedace. That's youtube.com slash stevedace. And... If you're listening to us audio only today, the last name is D-E-A-C-E. We've got a jam-packed Thursday in store for you coming up here at the bottom of the hour. John Zameric uh, from the stream is going to be joining us to talk about, well, what everybody's talking about, except they're not. And that's the case at the Supreme Court, which is pivotal, but really has the whole thing, the Schumer comments, all of that, that's a shiny object. The The real issue is, is John Roberts going to knife us again? That's That's the... That's the real issue. We're going to get into that here at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, some Theology Thursday and three non-political questions as well. And without Todd here to bail us out, you better have really good questions this week, Aaron. Really oh, they're good. Ones. good. They're okay. good. So, without further ado, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away, brought to you by a right-wing myth.
2: The Supreme Court is hearing arguments in a case out of Louisiana about a law in the state that requires abortionists to acquire admitting privileges from nearby hospitals. The law, which is on hold pending the Supreme Court case, was designed to require a higher level of competence amongst baby killers in the state. Now that the case has made it to the Supreme Court, abortion supporters are worried that Justices Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch will tip the case against abortionists, and that Chief Justice John Roberts appears to be laying the groundwork in favor of the Louisiana law. Yesterday, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer was part of a rally of pro-aborts in front of the Supreme Court.
0: I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price.
2: In response, Chief Justice John Roberts published a letter rebuking Schumer and calling his comments irresponsible and dangerous. And now, about that right wing myth. Leftists are always quick to remind pro lifers that nobody celebrates abortion. Just look at the reaction former presidential candidate Andrew Yang received last month when he told the crowd we shouldn't be celebrating abortions. Yesterday at the aforementioned rally Let's hear it for Senator Schumer! Let's hear it for all the people who have abortions! Let's hear it for our trans folks who have abortions! That's Renee Sherman who describes herself as the Beyoncé of abortion storytelling. And a special shout out to where my people who had abortions. Where y'all at? Nothing about this work is going to be without us. Woo! Awesome. So, as I said, I had an abortion when I was 19. It was honestly one of the best decisions of my life. I was simply not ready to become a parent, and that's really all you need to know. So there's that coronavirus update. The following is a video of Dr. Sarah Cody, a public health official in Santa Clara County, California.
3: Today, start working on not touching your face because one main way viruses spread is when you touch your own mouth, nose, or eyes.
2: For those of you listening, what we just watched is the good doctor licking her fingers to turn a page after lecturing the media to stop touching their mouths, nose, and eyes to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Not to fear, though, President Trump is on top of this.
0: And I haven't touched my face in weeks. <laughs> in weeks. Mr. President. I miss it.
2: The country of Italy is getting set to close schools in that country due to the outbreak of the coronavirus there. So far in Italy, about 2,500 cases of coronavirus have been reported. Checking in on the campaign trail, the latest delegate tally now that more votes are being counted in California shows Joe Biden still leading Bernie Sanders 566 to 501. That's according to the Associated Press. Joe Biden is on the campaign trail out there shaking hands and sniffing babies. (laughs) Hillary Clinton kind of endorsed Joe Biden. I've known him for a really long time. I think people know he is a deeply decent person. He is a kind person. He doesn't take cheap shots at people. He doesn't insult people as a way of, you know, trying to put people down and lift himself uh, up.
0: He is such the opposite of what we currently have in the White House.
2: Learning Spanish today, today's phrase is Biden didn't kill himself. The Bernie Sanders campaign released this ad.
0: Bernie is somebody who has the virtue of saying exactly what he believes. Great authenticity, great passion, and is fearless. Bernie served on the Veterans Committee and got bills done. I think people are ready for a call to action. They want honest leadership who cares about them. They want somebody who's going to fight for them. And they will find it in Bernie. That's right, feel the burn. I'm Bernie Sanders
2: and I approve this message. After that was released, Sanders said this. And I want to say something about
0: Barack Obama. Somebody I'm not gonna tell you he's my best friend, but I talk to him every now and then. Uh and I have a lot of respect for him.
2: And now moving on to something completely different, the Hallmark Channel recently aired the Movie Guide Awards, well, kind of, the Movie Guide Awards are the brainchild of Christian film critic Ted Baer, and the award show is designed to celebrate the best and most inspiring movies and TV shows of the past year, many of which have Christian themes. This year, one of the movies nominated was Unplanned, which depicts the story of former Planned Parenthood manager Abby Johnson. When the award show aired on the Hallmark Channel, how However, mention of Unplanned was nowhere to be seen, even though the film had been nominated for three awards. After actress Ashley Bratcher and others raised concern about this on social media, it was revealed that it was actually Ted Baer and Movie Guide who made the decision to cut mention of Unplanned from the program which had aired. Baer cited time constraints as the reason Unplanned and other nominees had to be cut from the program. Hallmark and Baer apologized to Bratcher, and Hallmark will air a recut edition of the award show, including all nominees, including Unplanned. And finally, Jeopardy! host Alex Trebek gave an update on his health one year after he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer.
0: There were moments of great pain, days when certain bodily functions no longer functioned, and sudden massive attacks of great depression that made me wonder if it really was worth fighting on. But I brushed that aside quickly because... That would have been a massive betrayal, a betrayal of my wife and soulmate, Jean, who has given her all to help me survive. It would have been a betrayal of other cancer patients who have looked to me as an inspiration and a a cheerleader of sorts of the value of living and hope. And it would certainly have been a betrayal of my faith in God and the millions of prayers that have been said on my behalf. And you know something? If I no. If we, because so many of us are involved in this same situation, if we take it just one day at a time with a positive attitude, anything is possible.
2: And that's what happened while we were away.
1: Alice Trebek, badass. It's true. Aaron's Montage brought to you by Rough Green's Vita Smart. Did you know that uh, your dog's dry food is, has been stripped of basically... Everything your dog needs the most so that it can have a two to three year shelf life. Just the same thing to do with our food as well. All right. Because things need to be made available for mass consumption and uh, also uh, to, to stay there for two to three years. Well, in order for that to happen, a lot of the, pretty much all the living organisms in that food, the probiotics, prebiotics, the healthy microbacteria, vitamins, minerals, all that stuff's got to be stripped away. Uh, and And that's, you know, that's the nutrition your pet is looking for. So we started our dog Cap on uh, Rough Green's VitaSmart a few weeks ago and uh, Cap is obsessed. So apparently this isn't just a great supplement, but it tastes good too. And that's what it is. It's a supplement. It's not a replacement for your dog food. It's just a, a way to put back into your dog's food what your pet needs the most. Same reason we take so many supplements as humans these days as well. All right. And again, Apparently, this stuff tastes great because Cap absolutely inhales this every time we give him some. So if you want to make your dog's food better, if you want to see your pet thrive again, give Rough Green's VitaSmart a shot and try the 14-day jumpstart challenge right now for just $14.95. 14 days of Rough Green's VitaSmart for your pet for just $14.95. See the difference in your dog in 14 days or less. All right, you want to take advantage of this? Roughgreens.com, that's R-U-F-F. Roughgreens.com slash blaze. Roughgreens.com slash blaze is how you can take advantage of Rough Green VitaSmart's 14-day challenge. Uh, in the overtime today, we're going to discuss why Elizabeth Warren failed. In case you missed it from Aaron's montage, she went, Geronimo! All right. I'm sorry. I, ah. all right,
2: okay. <laughs> we won't be hearing from her for a fortnight or so. <laughs>
1: uh, uh, uh. Nice. Uh, just, you know, I think her campaign just ran out of Wampum. Yeah. Should we continue? Or are we done? Do you think? Or? Well, I you think know, we're done.
2: She's still one in 1 1,024th 1, uh, president, so.
1: Yes, we are probably the 1,024th persons to attempt terrible Native American puns yeah. to analyze her her um her evacuation. Okay, we'll stop. Now. All right, we'll stop. <laughs> that one. Okay, a bit. <laughs> all right, we'll stop them. All right, uh, but we will get into in all seriousness. Okay, well, some seriousness. We will get into why did she fail? Because coming out of the summer, it looked like she was in line as a front runner, if not the front runner. Where did she go wrong? And I don't do much with the binary partisanship anymore. Not because I wouldn't like to, I would love to. It's just, I, 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 you know, it, it's so rare that the Republican Party repays me for any amount of sweat equity I give it that I just find other ways to pass the time these days. All right, But if, if, like me, you have put up with decades of being told, the only reasons you couldn't possibly agree with the Democrats and their policies is that you're a racist sexist. And now, what was it? Twenty six candidates ran, and the final two left are Methuselahs. Man, old straight white males. Out of twenty six candidates, we had we had the rainbow represented. We had several black candidates. We had a Hispanic candidate. We even had a black candidate with an ambiguous, basically like a pat. From SNL, like an ambiguous sexuality. I mean, we we mm-hmm. touched them all. All right, we had a we had a the, my the one I liked the most. Uh, we had an Asian candidate that was. In, we were, I don't know that we were missing anything, were we? Muslim atheist vegan pansexual lizard person. But we're still a few years away from that. And that and and that candidate probably would have that candidate probably would have outlived these two old white guys. Maybe yep. right. Yep. But we we touched a lot of intersection or we checked a lot of intersectionality boxes, and we're down now to just. Two straight old white guys from a process that began about two years ago, with twenty-six different declared candidates over its over the course of uh, its its path. You should laugh at that. You should absolutely laugh at that, and you should get you should get confidence and never ever fear the the name calling ever again and and probably should have given that up for lent like 20 years ago but this should be your last confirmation they don't believe that stuff oh there are people in their party that believe that stuff i agree with that but but as, as a whole they don't believe that stuff it's just a it's just a way to to exert power over you to control you and to take power away from you it's just a will to power That's all that it is. But we will discuss Elizabeth Warren's failure candidacy uh, in the overtime today. BlazeTV.com slash Dace is where you can go uh, to subscribe so that you can watch today's overtime. And if you're already a subscriber, it'll be posted there for you later today at BlazeTV.com slash Dace. Before we we move on with the show, though, I want to spend a few minutes, Aaron, having a bit of the conversation you and I were having before the show started. Yep. Um. Because I and I want to, I want to separate the process. We're not going to get into any of the metrics or, um, you know, the delegate race. You can see it's tightening, and and there's hundreds of delegates that still haven't been allocated in states. Bernie won. What did I say yesterday? They're gonna they're gonna take their sweet time mm-hmm. rewarding those delegates. Because you know why? When they get done counting and allocating the uh, delegates out of Colorado, Utah, and California, they're probably gonna put Bernie Sanders back ahead. That's why. All right. Um, and, and they got to, you know, they've got Michigan coming up ne- soon and Florida and Biden's going to win there in a route. So my guess is sometime at, shortly after Biden wins those two states in a route, we might finally get the full delegate allocation. Yep. From Colorado. yep. <laughs> you two in California or Utah in California. So that Bernie's lead, it's like it and it never happened. Yep. Right. All right. So you got you to let Joe Biden get up a good cushion first get him an insurmountable lead in states Bernie can't win. And then, then you let Bernie have the delegates in the states, the states that he actually did win. But I, I, I want to have a, a conversation about the psychology of movements. And you said something to me when I came in today. I don't want I don't, I to don't steal your thunder because I think your observation is, it has a lot of merit to it. And the way that you put it about you, you think Bernie Sanders is what right now?
2: I think he's kind of gripping. I think he's kind of gripping just a little bit. So that the main impetus for, for why I say that is this ad that uh, I believe is going to be running in Florida amongst other places. The ad in question was, uh, was played in the montage where it basically touts... Barack Obama saying various nice things about Bernie Sanders and of course it's all edited to make it sound as campaigns do as rosy as possible for Bernie Sanders and the thing that makes me think he's gripping is that most of Bernie Sanders core supporters think that Barack Obama is a conservative all right so to me if you're if if, if you unless you just don't know your base if you're playing an ad like that, you're starting to grip, and you're starting to think, "Oh boy, I got to pick up, so pick off some more support from the more moderate, uh, moderate wings and factions of the party. I, I got to up my, up my game here with the people who aren't really in on the revolution."
1: And by moderate on this show, we mean non-Soviet Marxists, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay,
2: and cool. moderate by Democrat standards, yes. which is like non-Soviet, as you as you said. So that's the reason why I think he's gripping, and then he kind of hedged in that interview with. Uh, What's your face from uh, from MSNBC, Rachel Maddow. Rachel Maddow, where he's like, uh, I'll say this about a Barack Obama. He, I wouldn't say we're best friends, but I have a lot of respect for him. So I, I think he I think that might be a first inkling that he and his campaign might be a little bit gripping here.
1: I think there's merit to what you're saying. Uh, if you look at this campaign ad that we ran uh, here on in your montage, it's almost a carbon copy of the ads Michael Bloomberg ran throughout the month of February in Super Tuesday states and nationally where Barack Obama is is crediting him, is applauding him, things of that nature. And I, I think it is a very cynical play, ploy to try to win black voters that he's losing mm-hmm. in droves is what I think that it is. I think... I think, I think his candidate campaign saw uh, the the head of the Congressional Black Caucus, Jim Clyburn, endorse uh, Joe Biden in, San, in, in, in South Carolina. Saw the exit polls that shot that showed about a half of the black voters that and they dominated the South Carolina primary as a demo, and half of them voted for Biden. They said in the in the exit polling, uh, at least somewhat, if not solely, based off the endorsement of Jim Clyburn. And I think I think this is Bernie Sanders saying, "Well, if it's just that simple, let me just go out and go ahead and uh, you know throw my Barack Obama ad up there and see if I can't get ten to fifteen points of you know of black voters in Michigan that I don't currently have, right. et cetera." Um, but it, it speaks to the overall psychology of movements, and 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 this happens. This happens. What we're going to discuss for the next couple of minutes. This happens across the ideological spectrum. What happens when when you are are either anointed or purposefully cast yourself as the leader of some kind of social reform movement. Unless you're dealing with somebody who is transcendent in the historical sense like a Gandhi or transcendent in the eternal sense like a Jesus Christ, okay, but when, when, when you are either anointed or, or cast yourself or, or just events conspire to do the math and put you there, that you become the tip of the sphere for, for some kind of a, a reform movement. Unless you're a transcendent figure of some type. And there's very few of them. That's why we all know their names. There's very few transcendent figures in in human history. Most leaders are a product of the era that gave birth to them. Either a reaction to it or a confirmation or affirmation of it. That's very important, okay? Most leaders are the product of their era, their environment. Either the reaction to it, meaning I, I hate this, I want this to stop, or they are a affirmation confirmation of it, meaning they rise to the occasion to 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 culminate an era. Very few are transcendent. And what ends up happening is they usually come to the fork in the road Yogi Berra warned you about when he once wisely said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> All right. They come to this fork in the road and the, and the fork in the road is this. They either start thinking they're the movement, they're, their brand, their persona is the movement. And so that if they cut a deal, if they make their peace with the system, they're challenging the masses that they're hurting Uh, Behind them, we'll just follow them like a Pied Piper into complacency. Or they become tyrants. Mao's, Stalin's, um, uh, uh, well, every Soviet premier. Che Guevara's. That's what they become. They become tyrants. Because that's what it takes to keep the movement tethered to them as a brand, as an identity. Is they've got a rule with an iron fist. They've got a rule with, out of fear, an iron fist. And you stay aligned. You start betraying the principles that used to be in your talking points. You start betraying them out of allegiance to this figure, out of fear, fear of reprisal from him or her. That's always the fork in the road, reform movements. Or, or movements that view themselves, even if they're not reform movements. I don't think Marxism is a reform movement. I think it's a deformed movement. But Marxism doesn't. Does Marxism view itself as a reform movement? Sure, it does. Yeah. Yeah. People don't wantonly say, "Hey, let me do something I think will hurt myself." No, they, you know, they they think they're a reform movement. That's so. I'm not categorizing it as such, but I'm 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 talking about the way they see themselves, and they always come to this fork in the road, and and. You do see this. You see Bernie. Some of the things he said in the last twenty-four hours. Well, I mean, if Joe Biden has the most delegates, even if he doesn't hasn't have it clinched before the convention. I'll at the end of in June, I'll drop out. I mean, the person with the most votes should win. That's the democratic process. What you can see is, in the end, he he is he he is he is either knowingly or subconsciously revealing. That he really doesn't have the balls to storm the Bastille. He doesn't doesn't have the balls to do it. And that's what happens. I mean, he's been a senator almost my entire life, all of Aaron's life. I and mean, he's a multimillionaire. his His wife is a seven figure surgeon or some physician. I think she's a, I think she's a surgeon. You know, making all those specialist medical dollars that will go away if we do Medicare for all. What did he say at the last debate? Well, I mean, sometimes you travel, I gotta have a lake house. Right, right, okay. And what you may find out, or what Bernie Sanders may find out, see, it sounds like he is, he is starting to believe what the Democratic Party believes about these leftists that they can be controlled and that he's the controller and Bernie views his power within the democratic party comes from his ability to wield the space. He is not wielding the space. It is wielding him. Let me repeat that. He is not wielding the space. It is wielding him, It's wielding him. And you may find out that Bernie could drop tomorrow or let the process go all the way to June and lose or not have enough delegates to win, drop out. The The impulses that drive people to Bernie Sanders' ideology don't lend themselves to restraint, accommodation, coexistence.
2: This is very important.
1: Yeah, they, they don't it's all a will to power. These people will, could, could decide to light up Milwaukee and turn it into an Antifa rally without, who who cares about Bernie Sanders? Who cares? I mean, you know, Bernie Sanders, we could wake up at any point. Bernie Sanders is what, 78 years old. Had, a, I think, a heart attack a few months ago. At least some kind of mild one. I mean, he, he could have a coronary event five minutes from now that, you know, existentially threatens his campaign and not of the Epstein didn't kill himself variety, but like a real one, right? I mean, if you were, if, 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 if given his age and his health, if you were watching a Bernie rally live on C-SPAN and dude was just losing his mind and he suddenly just started grabbing his chest and, and had to be whisked away, would you be shocked? Wouldn't be the most surprising thing ever. No, because that's not that's not abnormal for men of his age, especially given his his it's high-strung like, you know. temperament, right? Okay. You think these people are just going to be like, oh, snap. I guess we're not Bernie bros anymore. So I guess all that intersectionality, left-wing stuff that we got taught at university that we all buy in, I guess we're just, you know what? Let's just start beating our swords into plowshares here in real time. Nope. No. No, Bernie Sanders is not the movement. The movement is using Bernie Sanders. He is the vehicle. He's a proxy for it. And it sounds like he's starting to believe that that's not the case, and he can send out, since it's Elizabeth Warren Dropout Day, smoke signals. Uh, he can um, he can send out little you know dog whistles. Nope, and that's often why you see leaders, particularly of false reform movements, become tyrants. Because they recognize on their end that the only way to keep these people in line behind me and not take me out is to rule them out of fear. I think of Yasser Arafat famously or infamously telling President Clinton back in the 90s that he couldn't accept his peace accord with Israel, even though it gave him 90% of what he's been asking for since he orchestrated the Munich Olympics bombing and became the godfather grand, the granddaddy of them all of, of, of radical islamic jihadic jihadist terrorism and you know what his what his reasoning was if, if i take this deal the same mobocracy that i've been wielding against you in the west when i when i get back and, and land and and quote unquote palestine they're gonna slip my throat out in the street it, it's it's eradicate israel or nothing i mean yasser arafat was telling us i'm not the movement you guys in the West think I'm the one on I'm the, I'm, I'm the trigger. I'm not holding the trigger. You have it backwards. I'm not the movement. Yasser Arafat has been dead for years. We just got Mahmoud Abbas instead and and Hezbollah instead of the PLO. It just, it just, it just amorphosizes. It just evolves. Bernie is not the movement. The movement is, is pushing Bernie.
2: You have any thoughts on this Aaron? Yeah, I mean Bernie Sanders is merely merely like an icon on your desktop. It's not the actual program. It's just the Good it's, analogy. It's just the the, the thing that you that the thing that you see that launches the program. That I gives mean, you access Bernie, to the it program. That gives you access to the program that's yeah. deeper uh inside your computer. And that's, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders is not dry, uh, driving shout your abortion. Bernie Sanders is not driving drag queen story hour. That's Bernie right. Sanders is not driving open borders. Or or bust all of that, all of that is the wind beneath his wings right now. And if he starts going down and he starts being tempted by, you know what, I gotta, I'm, I'm running a presidential campaign here, I gotta start building a coalition. So I'll mm-hmm. moderate on health care for all moderate on this issue in order to try to attract myself to more people. You know another another uh, Native American phrase. Uh, what do you mean, we Kemosabi? That's yes. what his face
1: is going to do to him. Yeah, they're not interested in aligning. A, a campaign aligns itself with a Barack Obama. They think Barack Obama sold them out. They think they think Barack Obama didn't go far enough and was too nice to people like us. We'll come back and talk about the Supreme Court and the life issue next year on Blaze TV Radio, and Podcast. I think most of us would be shocked at how easily our homes can be stolen. This is a brutal lesson Deborah learned when thieves found her home's title online, then they forged it, literally took ownership of her home. And in an instant, they legally owned it. Uh, She got evicted, lost over 80 grand in equity, And then had to spend another mini fortune in legal fees to get it all back. The FBI calls this home title fraud. It's one of the fastest growing crimes in America. And you do not want to be next. And the reason why is because for most Americans, this is the most lucrative investment we'll ever make. Our own home. And nowadays, with everything online, so is your home's title as well. All right, so those legal documents are there. Thieves are hunting for them right now. They forged the documents stating you sold your home to them. Maybe they just borrow against your equity as well, sticking you with the payments. No insurance or bank protects you, but Home Title Lock does. Now, you may already be a victim of home title fraud and theft and don't even know it. That's why you want to go and register your home right now at HomeTitleLock.com. Register your address there right now and find out if your title is free and clear. And then while you're there, use my name, Steve, as a promo code to get one month of free protection, one month of free protection with promo code Steve at titlelock.com That's titlelock.com Well, yesterday, one of the big stories uh, that, that happened uh, involved the comments that, Aaron, you played in your montage uh, with uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, essentially making veiled political threats if not worse uh, at uh, two specific members of the US Supreme Court because this was a rally for the 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 child killing cult this is one of the main uh you know sacraments of the uh the the leftist progressive marxist religion of state uh child sacrifice and so these this is how people react with, you know this is what happens when you step on the shibboleths of the damned they they react uh in in such an unhinged way this is the crowd out, mob outside of lots house type of behavior right well this uh this created quite a stir because the court's about to hear uh the a louisiana regulation bill that that essentially says if i remember correctly that if you guys if you all want to claim over there in your child killing uh, cult that abortion is healthcare, well then abortuaries ought to be regulated like any other healthcare facility and of course they don't want that uh see kermit gosnell and others Right, and so here we are, and so they held a rally at the Supreme Court to essentially pressure them—a total mobocracy tactic—and this got a lot of reaction. One of the more interesting reactions I saw came from our our guest here today, John Zemeric from uh, the Stream. It's good to have you back here on the show, John. How are you?
3: Good, Steve. And thanks for having me up.
1: You bet. So your you had a you had a reaction that I I had not seen until you said it. Okay, and and I don't want to spoil it. But just your reaction to what you saw from Chuck Schumer and uh, the the child killing cult yesterday, you had what reaction to it?
3: Well, first of all, if it is a threat of violence, that's one thing entirely. And I put nothing past the people who support Antifa and the people who support silencing people and, and silencing professors at universities and students. So if Schumer in his vague threat was talking about personal consequences, the kind that Antifa mobs have aimed at people like Stephen Miller in the administration, that's one thing. And the FBI ought to be investigating that to see if that's the case. On the other hand, if he was threatening political consequences like impeachment of justices, well, of course, on the merits, I want to see pro-life justices on there because I. I know Roe v. Wade was a fraudulent constitutional decision. So was Casey v. Planned Parenthood. But the idea of impeaching Supreme Court justices because they rule wrong is a perfectly legitimate one. And it's one that we on the right should have started trying to do in 1973 when the Supreme Court grabbed this profound piece of of, a policy namely the rights and the protection of unborn children grabbed it out of the hands of the voters out of congress out of the hands of 50 states the idea that we should defer to the supreme court as as some sacred arbiter of what's in the constitution and then subsequent court majorities should defer to the precedent of five lawyers who decide that gay marriage is real who decide that unborn children deserve zero protection What if five justices were to decide that the Second Amendment was null and void because of changes in technology or society? Should should we just sit there helplessly and let five attorneys rule the country? Uh, It was Antonin Scalia who said, The left gave up on constitutional amendments when the ERA failed and Roe v. Wade, from their viewpoint, succeeded. And and Scalia said, we now have a sitting constitutional convention of five lawyers who decide ultimately all our laws. That is not a democratic republic.
1: Well, I mean, you're singing me a love song here, John, because it was 10 years ago, a decade ago. I was at the tip of the sphere here in my home state of Iowa where we did something that still has not been done since, or nor was done before in all of American history, we essentially, by, by popular vote, impeached judges. Uh, for, a, for a for on the state supreme court for and it had nothing to do with moral turpitude or malfeasance or it was strictly on the basis of their unconstitutional decision believing they had the power to amend Iowa's constitution by their own stroke of the pen and change the 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 providential and natural laws of marriage that had a, a precedent of about six thousand years of recorded human history and That's right for you. and and that and and what's been my great frustration. In the decades since we did that, John, is the amount of deference it, 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 that we show even people, even people that are on the Saurabh Amari side of the Sorab David French debate. <laughs> when it when it when it comes to the courts, like everybody becomes a David French, like uh, Hamana 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 nomine Pacha. I mean, we're we're, yeah, we're
3: it's, like a, it's as if it was their papal infallible decisions. Yes, or Yeah. like, like we're a divine revelation. It's a new book of the Bible. Yes, five lawyers from Yale, Stanford, and Harvard. Decide to take NPR's viewpoints and impose them on us as if they were written in in 1783. Yeah, they're,
1: they're they're not they're not a court, man. They're like a conclave. It's like the Council of Nicaea, and yeah. we and, and conservatives just line up, you know, waving waving the lantern, and the smoke comes out, and you know, we're it, like it's like a ritualistic. Uh, well, the dignity of the court. What, di- Screw listen, the dignity. Of I'm the court. wholeheartedly the court. I'm with you
3: on that wholeheartedly in fact what about if it, the fact that you had people like lindsey i'm sorry my beagle just jumped up uh, right. what about the fact that we had people like lindsey graham voting to confirm judges like sotomayor what the hell was that about i'm sorry that's absurd
1: i agree with you wholeheartedly if they, like hey if they want to act like super legislators if they want to act like potentate executives they, they yeah, want to they, they, act like a non-elected, perpetual constitutional convention. Then, then I have no problem treating them like we treat every other politician in the country.
3: That's right. It is a political branch of government with a, vine- a thin veneer of scholarship layered over it like chocolate icing on a cake made of poop. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is political. And if they look, I'm personal friends with Mark Judge. And I know how ugly. The campaign against Kavanaugh was the left understands the Supreme Court is a political football and they are playing football. We seem to think it's a game of lawn darts and we're tiptoeing around as as if we were, you know, Edwardian aristocrats on some lawn in in, in Brighton Beach, England. They're playing NFL football. It's time for us to fight back just as hard, throw away the corrupt pretense that the Supreme court is anything more than five five lawyers with a lot of power. They are not legend, They're not paying attention to the text of the constitution. They are not originalists. They, they, they kind of laugh in private at the whole idea of originalism. And think about it this way. The Obama administration, tried to say that the civil rights act of 1964 covers sexual orientation and transgender identity now when and and the court never struck that down when the civil rights act was passed there were laws against sodomy in 49 states out of 50. it's pretty obvious that the legislators who passed the civil rights act did not intend to cover sexual orientation but the Obama administration told the Justice Department, pretend that's what the law means. And no court struck it down. So we know how much respect the left has for the intent of legislators, for the intent of the, of America's founders. We need to fight back hard. This is a battle for power. It is not an 18th century minuet.
1: Preach. Which brings us to the merit of the case itself, right? Right. Um. So, how is John Roberts going to knife us here? Is it going to be, is he going to change the definition of the term state exchange? All right. Is he going to do that? Is, 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 is he going to decide after the Obama attorneys from the Justice Department get up there under oath at the U.S. Supreme Court and say that the Obamacare mandate is not a tax, especially because this hearing is taking place in the winter of 2012. And we have a presidential election here in about 10 months. And we don't want to be on the record admitting we just passed the biggest tax increase in American history. So, no, the mandate is not a tax. And then John Roberts decides a few months later when he when he saves Obamacare, he does it on the basis that it is a tax contrary to the administration that gave us the policy's own argument that it is a tax and government can essentially tax you in any way shape or form it chooses okay and there's nothing you can really do about it um so what will what, what will be the rationale that john roberts will use to knife us on this louisiana case do you think
3: i, I think schumer may have overplayed his hand i i, I think now, Roberts, who is a vacillating reed in the wind, um, he might now be embarrassed to rule badly because it will look like he did it out of out of naked physical cowardice, that he was afraid that Antifa would, would come poop on his lawn and break his windows. Uh, but if he does decide that the good opinion of NPR and his wife not getting cut at the country club is more important than the text of the Constitution, I don't know. Maybe he'll say that abortion is not health care. It's a religious ritual. So it's protected by the first amendment. I mean, I, I really uh, I don't have
1: I'm a, only that, laughing because I'm like, crap, that could happen. Yeah,
3: I'm all yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't have the ingenuity and mendacity to be a Supreme Court justice. What I'm
1: also fascinated by is, well, to me... I was adamantly opposed to what they did to Brett Kavanaugh. Okay, I was also ad- adamantly opposed to putting Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court before they started doing it because Me he's too. Karl Rove in a he's Carl Rove in a black robe, right? right. Like I, I go back to that line in uh, that the Joker uses in The Dark Knight. I know the squealers, and that one's a squealer. Okay, yeah. that one's a squealer all the way. Okay. You know
3: who we need on the court? Sidney Powell, Judge Judge uh, Judge Mike Flynn's defense attorney, she has been a whistleblower about prosecutorial abuse in the deep state for the last seven or eight years. She's the one who exposed how Andrew Weissman politicized the Justice Department and, and railroaded US Senator Ted Stevens. Her book License to Lie is fantastic. I think we it would be good to have a woman on the court. It would be good to have an evangelical Protestant on the court. They founded the country. Maybe they should have some ongoing insight into how it's run. As a Catholic, I say we have enough Catholics on the court. Let's get a good evangelical. So I, I'm supporting Sidney Powell for SCOTUS.
1: What about Gorsuch, whose overall record was pretty good, except before he was nominated, but they managed to find no. Because well, they managed to find a federal judge who had like no record on abortion at all, John. Nothing.
3: Yeah, it's it's absurd. Why does our side look for somebody with no record? Their side basically wants someone where there's video of him performing. Yeah, he performed
1: abortions, right? Yes. Right.
3: They would have liked Kermit Gosnell or Ulrich Klopfer, the doctor from South Bend who hoarded twenty five hundred fetuses in his house and they found it when he died that is the ideal left-wing justice for the court but we're all gonna we we insist on people Oh, i didn't even know abortion was legal i I mean i've been on this circuit court but somehow it escaped my notice so i have no record on it that is an example of us playing fighting boxing with one hand tied behind our backs we need to get rid of that corrupt Bush administration consensus, that we have to pretend we're not really pro-life while the other side is slavering for the blood of the unborn.
1: Final thing, John, how do you think this turns out? Uh, To me, it, it turns out one of two ways. Robert's knifes us or when he gives us a win, it's always without actually accepting the premise of the argument. Our side is even trying to make, right? Like he, like, like, uh, you can, you can, you can continue to go after the Baker in Colorado, provided you can prove it's just not, you're yep. not being mean, right? It's not That's religious right. animus. Okay. Um, but he has like no affirmative right, objective right to his own conscience. Just don't be mean to him about it.
3: So well, there, there, this is, this is the best the Bush administration was ever willing to give us, okay? And and we took we the religious right we begged for these scraps from the table. Um, we we have to hope the Trump administration will do better than Kavanaugh next time, uh, and even better than Gorsuch. But it, if we're gonna do, if we're gonna get that, we have to be ready to fight for it. we we are your political base, Mr. President. Uh, By by hook or by crook, or actually by political accident, the fact that Trump was so isolated from the rest of the GOP that he had to turn to the religious right. We also were out in the wilderness because the Karl Rove's and George W. Bush's took us for granted. They treated us the way the Democratic Party treats African-Americans. That is, you have nowhere else to go, so you will take what scraps we throw you. Mm -hmm. We have to do better.
1: Good to see you, John. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it, as always. Bye bye. Right. Take care. I don't know of another another country, let alone another show, where a guy just casually sitting around with his dog <laughs> and his golf shirt just can riff yep. riff like a constitution class. And just destroy like you know ten uh, uh, political pieces of agate prop in a fifteen minute segment. That, there's no other country, maybe no other show where where something like that can that that convergence of events can occur.
2: It is it's it, it's it's a great uh, it's a great country. I should have wore a sports jersey yeah. today. It's there's no other yeah there's no other country either where you could seriously think hmm. Maybe John Roberts will uh, will redefine the meaning of words and actually, you know, make uh, make abortion a a a, a, a federally codified uh, right of of um, a, of religious conscience uh, conscience. You know, as as uh, as great as America is for for you know sitting around and being a little pet uh, pet your dog and you know riff uh, amazingly on the Supreme Court, I don't think there's I don't think there's any question that America is uh, one one. One heck or kind of country for allowing an actual, you know, chief Supreme Court justice. You could actually believe John Roberts doing that because words don't have meaning anymore. Words and meaning, um, go to die at the U.S. Supreme Court, and so it wouldn't surprise me. I, I do tend to agree with with John a little bit that if John Roberts ends up being the deciding vote in this, it, I think it's probably more likely than it was 24 hours ago that that could be the case based on what transpired yesterday and just the raw id uh, at stake here mm-hmm. being that he doesn't want to look small, but, but based on John Roberts history, he, he just at best, at best, he's a political animal and that's probably what we're going to see in this case. But it is, it is, I will say this, if the right in this country or what's left of America, if conservative media is worth anything in this country, we will drive home the point throughout this entire thing that what leftists are really saying by opposing this bill, what what a, the abortionists are really saying by opposing this bill is either A, we're admitting that abortionists, the baby killers, are not competent, or B, you know what? Women's health really just doesn't matter enough to us that the uh, baby killers be, you know, just decently competent in what they're doing by having admit. That's mm-hmm. what they're. So if if conservative media is worth anything in, in this culture and in this country, uh, they'll drive home those points as long as this case is alive at the Supreme Court. But I also have uh, some cynicism where that goes as well.
1: That's a great point you made. The only reason to oppose this is you are tacitly admitting that these are execution chambers yep. and aren't clinics. Right? Yep. Like, like, do, I don't, I mean, is there, do we need legislation to inspect whether the gas chamber is up to code? Do we need legislation to inspect to make sure that all the, the sparks ignite on the electric chair right. that the, 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 well, uh, this voltage and, uh, it needs to be within this range when we fire old spark. No, nobody does that. And if they do, it's bureaucratic and it's not like a political football, like nobody's lobbying for so- certain, you know, uh, voltage oversight at, at electric chairs across the country. Right. Why? Because it's an execution chamber. It's not a clinic. You go in there to die. So the only reason to oppose this is you're admitting that's what these are. These are execution chambers. You go in there to kill things. Yep. Not to treat anything or, or heal anything. You, it, they're, you're just strictly killing people. That's all you're doing. We'll come back. Hour two begins with Theology Thursday next. We are back with hour two live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. Todd Herzen has the day off. Aaron McIntyre is here with me as well. If you want to let us know what you think about what we think utilize, access the stevedace.com inbox to do that. Email the program, steve at steve That's how you can email us. D-E-A-C-E, you can like us on Facebook. Try that anyway. Emphasis on try. You can also follow us on Twitter, where we're not yet shadow banned, unlike Facebook. At Steve Dace Show, and the last name is D-E-A-C-E. If you're looking for clips of this show that you can sample or share, uh, go to youtube.com slash Steve Dace. That's youtube.com slash Steve Dace to do that. Finally, if you are a podcast listener to this program, thank you. We appreciate you taking any time, no matter where or when you choose to listen, taking a uh, time out of your schedule uh, to be a part of our program without you, uh, we'd be unemployed. So if, if you could maybe do one more thing for us beyond just tuning in. If you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice, the more of those we get, the more the show grows, the more likely we get to grow with that show and not have somebody else doing it in our place. All right, so thank you to all of you that have left us a five-star review already. If you haven't done so, please consider doing it today. And if it's because you don't like the show, don't lie. Just don't leave any review though at all. Okay, thank you coming up at the bottom of the hour three non-political questions i'm really really trusting aaron that you're gonna you've got good stuff this week oh it's it's probably some of the best questions i've i've ever asked um uh, you've never seen questions like this before so you're saying i'm screwed yeah yeah okay yeah. well before that uh let, let's let's do some theology thursday that way i can it, it's good to do theology thursday first you know i i can get uh reminded that mercy triumphs over judgment when when i'm forced to confront the mediocre effort i'm sure you will put forth here in about 30 minutes
2: well um i you know it's two-way street brother it's two-way street
1: <laughs> no no it's not because uh, like i signed employee. the front and you signed <laughs> yeah, the back of the like chair your, you're like so, your <laughs> empl-
2: employee telling you yeah that.
1: so it's not exactly a two-way street actually no, it's not. Every time you turn on an unemployment boulevard, it's a one-way street, bro. Can promise you that. All right? All right. Uh, just
2: a little light insubordination to uh, to start our Theology Right, we've Thursday. got
1: soft Marxism everywhere we look. Let's have some soft insubordination while we're at it. Why not? Why not? Uh, you know what? Speaking of soft insubordination, that is a good segue to what we're going to be talking about this week with uh, Theology Thursday. So... We've been doing this series uh, just to kind of, you know, reset why. Uh, Amy and I, my wife and I started doing a a New Testament Bible study. It's like a college preparatory, you know, course, like a a 101 seminary level study of the New Testament. So, you know, big picture view, you know, origin, main themes, et cetera. And it's a 16 week course. And we've been taking this at our uh, home church, uh, Valley Church here in West Point, Iowa. And part of this course for you to get your final um, distinction after you finish all 16 weeks is you've got to write uh, a, an essay paper after every class or after every um, book of the Bible or you or, or books that are grouped together. Uh, and so you got to write 16 of these. And I thought it would be f- interesting if I just shared each one of those with the audience every week as we go through the New Testament right and so last week we did first and second thessalonians we had a conversation about dual citizenship right so paul is a dual citizen as both um a hebrew of hebrews a highly respected member of of the elite jewish religious community who now has had this conversion moment and he is called to be the apostle to the gentiles that a a, you know a a high a, a a A good standing member of the elite Jewish community wasn't going to spend a lot of time among in the first century with those kinds of pagans because the Torah told them not to. Uh, and so, but now there's a new covenant now. And Jesus said, you know, what does Jesus say when he when he when he loses it when he at, at, when he sees the temple turn into a market? What does he say? My, he's quoting from the Old Testament. I think it's the prophet Isaiah. My house will be a house of prayer for yep. all nations. All right. And so Paul is now the the, the this is now the, the, a mystery. We'll get into this when we get into Ephesians later in in this New Testament study. This mystery has now been revealed that all along God intended to to open. All peoples of the of the earth uh to his covenant okay that's not that doesn't mean universalism you have accountability for sin okay but in the in the new testament christ was going to be your your access port to uh no matter who you were or where you are in the world through christ you may have acts you may become part of god's covenant people that's what it means and so Paul's going to be at the tip of the sphere for that now. He's, he's going to help lead this charge into the uncircumcised or non-Jewish, the, the Gentile, pagan world. That's where he's going to go. And so he had dual citizenship in that he could both go to every synagogue as a member, a Jewish member of, of, of good elite religious standing and, and preach Christ as the Messiah to those communities. Uh, or debate them as often was the case was of whether christ was the son of david or not Uh, and but that also then as as a roman citizen he that gave him the freedom to be the apostle to the gentiles to go to the non-jewish areas and and travel freely throughout the roman empire have some semblance of of civil liberties and this is kind of a model for us to be in the world and not of it because we are dual citizens as believers living in a in a fallen world a pluralistic culture etc how do we navigate these areas and gray areas and murky swamps when when these two citizenships clash right we talked about that last week okay this week we're going to talk about the culture that we are in because the um, what i wrote about for our bible study class was a direct application between one society that Paul had um several dealings with over the course of his of his ministerial career and the parallels that it has to the culture in which we live and it's a re- another reminder there's nothing new under the sun i was going to say okay.
2: it, it, is you know is that really applicable
1: yeah yeah there's there's nothing new under the sun I, I know you know there's an old saying the only difference between men and boys is the price of their toys right the only difference between us and the people of antiquity are the are the toys we have the trinkets we have at our disposal which often we use unfortunately as a way to indulge our 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 most basic instincts our sinful natures and if they had access and and the portability to indulge their nature in their day with the technology that was available to them they'd have done the same thing and what we're going to talk about this week is living proof of it, okay? Because we're going to talk about a church in a place called Corinth. All right? And so the the question that I chose to answer this week for the for our church class was to select any one person, event, or idea from 1st and 2nd Corinthians and describe how God used that person, event, or idea to speak to your heart. What lessons did you learn? And how will you begin modeling these truths in your own life? Now, I selected this question because Corinth and America are like Like, this—just a bit. I mean, it's hand in glove, man. It's uh, it's ebony and ivory living together, and not like the the hilarious, um, you know, Frank Sinatra. A skit SNL version, like the real one, hand to glove, all right? Uh, There are numerous parallels between the church and Corinth and and that the Christian church there was trying to influence and impact with contemporary American culture that the church is trying to reach today. And let's get to some background. What was Corinth? Well... (laughs) Corinth was a combination of Hollywood, San Francisco, Las Vegas, and Pornhub.
2: Other than that, though, it had a wonderful singing voice. Yes.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yes. Yes. All right. And, And it was shameless, man. Corinth, like... They didn't, the, the Corinth Chamber of Commerce didn't say, hey, remember what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. No, they were shouting their Corinth. <laughs> That's what they were doing. They were shouting their Corinth. All right. Uh, Corinth was so bad. How bad was it, Steve? Corinth was so bad that even amongst the Greeks who were notoriously licentious, lascivious, um, I mean there's a rash there's been a rash in this last decade of television shows on premium cable channels uh de- you know depicting ancient Greece and, and ancient Rome so the Greco-Roman culture right yep. that's really what Paul would would have been uh, impacting is Greco-Roman culture the Romans just had absorbed and adopted a lot of of Greek customs and cultures had the exact same pantheon just changed the names of of the gods okay and and that's why Greek language was was very common as well. That's why a lot of the New Testament was written in Greek, et cetera. So there's been a, a rash in the last decade of realistic uh, portrayals of drama and political intrigue and what life was like, you know, with with dramatic shows on television in ancient Greece and ancient Rome. And they're like all TVMA and all rated R because that's what life was like. That's what it was like it was it was always drag queen story time hour in greco-roman culture always and yet among even this group of people corinth was notorious notorious like the kind of place where where even the greek dudes had their bachelor parties okay yeah, man, I'm going to marry this woman and she's going to hold and tie me down to like a thruple with our slaves, you know? I don't know that I can stay committed like that. So me and my buddies uh, just uh, uh, lacing up the sandals and go sow our wild oats and tie one on over in Corinth. And I'm not exaggerating. The, The Greeks gave Corinth its own verb. Like think of... When when things obtain a verb in a culture, it's usually for notorious reasons. Like it used to be called it. it, You know, it's kind of nuts to think about it now because it's it's turned into the best program in college football. But it wasn't too long ago that Clemson was a verb, Clemsoning. Right? What was that known for? It was known for collapsing. Right when everybody was thinking this is your year, collapse. Clemsoning was a word. Okay. Um, the Greeks the Greeks had such a level of abhorrent respect because they weren't like offended. It's greco roman culture, folks. They they weren't offended, okay? But they almost had like this abhorrent respect for the level of shamelessness of of Corinth that they gave it its own verb, to Corinthianize. So when you had your bachelor party, you Corinthianized. That's what you did. Your bachelorette party, you Corinthianized. Spring break, you Corinthianized. And it's here that Paul has some of his most um, memorable, I guess we'll use that word, memorable interactions with, with church plants is in this community. And here's another thing to know about Corinth. Just so you, again, you understand I'm not exaggerating. When I talk about this was a this was a, a, de- a vacation spot to get your Caligula on the the city of Corinth's worship of of Diana uh, or I'm sorry of Venus Aphrodite depending on if you're Greek or Roman you identified her as Venus or Aphrodite Greco Roman culture the was inherent to the city of Corinth. To the point that year round, a hundred percent of the time, twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, three hundred and sixty-five days a year, there were at least a thousand female prostitutes slash sex slaves on standby at the temple of at the temples. For Af- Aphrodite and Venus, so like they didn't have to like watch third hand on their phones. You could just go up, go down to the temple and voyeur in real time if you wanted to. So yes, this place was Hollywood, Las Vegas, because there were male prostitutes as well. It just that that fetish wasn't nearly as popular as 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 the uh, as the old fashioned way. But keep in mind, you know Nero was marrying his sex, his male sex slave in the Senate during this era too. Okay, so it was a combination of Hollywood, Las Vegas, San Francisco, and Pornhub. It's just they got they got the live version, not the memorex. This is another reason why I'm very resistant when we talk about things have never been worse than they are before. We're gonna get raptured any minute now. It's never been this bad. Oh, yeah, it has. (laughs) Yeah, it has. Now, we might get raptured any minute now. I don't know. Okay? I don't even know if I even believe in a rapture. But if we might. I don't know. But things have been this bad. I mean, in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus takes his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi, in the first century, Caesarea Philippi was a retirement community by and large. A lot of old, retired Roman military brass lived there. And it was a wealthy, decadent community as well. And the local god there was a guy, the local deity there was his name was Pan. And Pan literally looked like a prop in an old school occult horror movie. Like a half goat animal, I think half man, you know, figure about yay big, and he had a female consort because most pagan gods do. The female consort was the goddess of fertility, right? right. I couldn't remember what uh, what you know. It, basically, everything's a derivative of Baal and Asherah, and I, I couldn't remember what what his Asherah's name was. But and, but there in Caesarea Philippi, the the people there would go and worship pan at at the at the shrine there the altar there and you know what they the locals called it the rock and inside the rock they would they would they had these indwellings inside the rock where they would place pan the idol the pan idol and his consort and they would just have orgies there in order to incur their the fertility of their harvest or their spring planting Kind of gives a different spin on the notion of upon this rock i will build my church right we've been having a debate about what that means since Mm -hmm. the reformation basically well one of the applications is when jesus says this you know keep in mind good jewish boys like all of his disciples were were not to visit a place like Caesarea philippi this was the red light district you know and he's telling him hey even on that rock over there where they do unspeakably terrible things we're going to build our church even right there. So I, that's why I'm always very resistant to it's never been. I agree things in America culturally, our cultural indicators are getting worse. I agree with that. But the world collectively and other cultures have been far worse than we are right now. I mean, you, you killed, you killed God. We killed God. That's, that's dark. Killing our own maker who came to save us is a, is dark, Right. That's a dark place. It's a bad, that's pretty pitch black. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, 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 that's not good on your resume. Okay. So this is where Paul is trying to interact with this culture. And one of the things because of its heavily sexualized culture, pretty much everybody that you go to minister to, and then everybody you would bring into the ministry, not just converts, but people that eventually that you would disciple and turn into deacons and elders or ministry leaders. There is, there's literally nobody unless you got to them before they lost their virginity. There's virtually nobody in this culture untainted by the sexuality. It is a wash with nobody. Everybody's been exposed to some of it has partaken in some of it, uh, witnessed it, heard about it. I mean, there's, there's, you're not immune to it on any level whatsoever. What culture does that sound like? That sounds familiar. Sounds a lot like this one. Since the sexual revolution, we're a long way, Toto, from sneaking your old man's Playboys out from his uh, from his you know between his his uh, mattress and box spring when your parents leave you alone. Now you just go check out you know that crap, and you just go to the library and you know watch Pornhub on your phone, and nobody does anything because um, you know uh, freedom. That's the cost of freedom. Is your kids get to watch water sports on Pornhub at the library? It's the cost of freedom, right? That's the cost of freedom. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the culture that that Paul is in. All of the lessons that that come out of Corinth would require volumes of books over the over the years have been written about this. These are some of the most controversial exchanges about church life. For example, the roles of women, for example, often debated based on these writings. And one of the reasons I think you see Paul take a pretty hard stance on that is because women were the priestesses at the temple to, Di- to, to Aphrodite and Venus down the street. And pe- people would leave that, get converted to Christianity and and th- they were like well let's just go down the street that's where the guys are at that's where the customers are at we'll just go down there and let anybody i th- mean th- th- and i mean you guys you guys are into tolerance and diversity right we got a few things to say and paul's like no you don't <laughs> no you don't you don't have anything to say i mean this church had a dude with his arm around his mom in the front row or his stepmom at least And Paul says, dude, not, he goes, I've been been traveling the pagan world. They don't even do incest at that level in the pagan world. And we have it going on in the Christian church. People were repeating each other in line during communion because they were serving the real stuff back then, not the grape juice. And they were just doing it to get drunk on the wine. This place was messed up. And this is going to be a little different than some of the other bible studies we've done because i'm not going to on purpose i am not going to bring this conversation to like an ultimate head i i this 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 week's theology thursday is like an extended preamble because if, if you've never read these letters before or you've never read them without truly understanding the context why in first corinthians is he so angry why is he driving a, such a hard line on some of these things even in ways where Paul who was hardly known for being soft doesn't even go to some of these places in some of his other epistles why is he why is he doing it here i think it's important to understand the context of who and what these people were and this place was that he is addressing and attempting to minister to because even in a world awash with immorality this was a uniquely affluent and depraved place and i think it can give us a lot of of advice and counsel on i mean if you want to get involved in any form of church leadership in america today i'd urge you to study these two letters and the culture that they're about closely because it's 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 a it's a proto version of what our culture is about today, Aaron, you have any thoughts
2: yeah and and the reason why that is the case, I think this is this this letter is um. Is is the reminder that we need often not to not to fall into any uh, either I should say of the ditches that you can find yourself be- in uh, specifically when it comes to the sexual ethic of of the Corinthian uh, church and it it speaks to um, a couple of different things I think one is the unique the unique nature of of sexual sins paul says in in 1 corinthians when you sin all other sins you commit outside the body but sexual sin sexual immorality you sin against yourself there there's a unique there's a unique nature of sexual sin which requires a unique <laughs> a unique sexual ethic which the the bible obviously and and the rest of scripture spells out and paul does as uh, Paul does well in Corinthians, the ditch the ditch that, that the Corinthians found themselves in is the same ditch that that American culture is in right now, which is just total and complete licentiousness. I keep going back to this conversation that we had the other day, but right in Link, the, the famous YouTube stars, mm-hmm. one of their main bugaboos, which caused them to come out as uh, agnostics and walking away from their faith is the biblical sexual ethic. Mm-hmm. And instead of just trying to twist that sex, sexual ethic like a Pete Buttigieg does into, into their own framework of Christianity, which is nothing like Christianity, they were honest and, and did away with all of it. So that's the one ditch. And it happens in, in the church as well. You, you see all, all manner of professing Christians who are, you know what, um... This is kind of cute. This is nice. The, the Pete you know the, the the Pete Buttigieg act. I I kind of like that. And they twist they twist whatever is in whatever um, you know you know whatever the issue de jour of the day is into their own framework of Christianity. And you know we'd be foolish. Uh, and and you've brought this up on the show before. The Corinthian the Corinthian culture is so much like this culture because sexual immorality has somehow some way touched every single every single person in this culture unless you've just been uh, you know uh, hiding under a rock. I mean, if you're if you're a, a male the age of twelve or thirteen, if you look back right now and you say I've never been tempted, if you I, I would and maybe this is unfair and maybe I'm I'm being a little bit too judgmental here. I think you're lying to me if you if you've said that you've never been tempted by this in this culture. Am I going out way too no. far out on a limb? I think I
1: think I think you're probably deceiving yourself if you claim you're completely and totally untainted, let yes. alone tempted. Yeah. So
2: that's the one. That's the one ditch, and that's the ditch that the Corinthian uh, culture found itself in. Uh, as we are as we are prone to do, though, and this is the other this is the other side of the ditch as well. As we are prone to do as as human beings. Uh, in response to that, we swing completely back the other way right. and we go to Victorian area uh, era prudishness where we're not actually, we're like not Augustine actually went from a sex yes. cult to
1: then saying that any sex that is, that this isn't for the intent yep. of procreation is yep. bad stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So
2: that's all that is to say is that these, the, the this is, this is not, a, this is, this is not only the antidote, it's it's the reminder of where we're in, that it's never, it's never not new. When it comes to sexual sin, you know, been there, done that, ain't got nothing on me. Um, but at the same time, it's a reminder as well not to swing all the way back over into the other direction too.
1: I think we should take a couple seconds and explain why this one is, when we say unique... It's unique in its potency, not like in its penalty. Okay. Yep. All right. Um, you're not, there's not another layer of hell because you went to Pornhub compared to, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I like to beat kids up for their lunch money. That's, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about, it's not about the penalty, but the uniqueness of its potency, because the, the pleasure you derive, right. We're only tempted by the things that we like. The pleasure that you derive from committing this sin is a uniquely, exclusively internal experience. You're, you're, in, you're importing all of that, that pleasure association with committing this sin into your mortal body, which makes it exceedingly difficult. To to break. This is why it's called every man's battle. It makes it exceedingly difficult. This, see, like almost every man in my generation, I got a lot of experience with this. It makes it exceedingly difficult to break away from it, because after your conversion, the, your new self, kind of you know like, is, is is almost coming out of a shell and little by little replacing who you used to be, right? But when you when you go here with this sin, you. It's, it only indulges your sinful self mm-hmm. internally. It's like injecting, a, it's, like, it's like directly injecting a toxin into your body. So most of the other things we're tempted to do are sins we commit against other people. In this case, the other person is ourselves, all right? Which we now you bring the war home and that's what makes it uniquely difficult because the old man rises up and say, hey, I want that sensation and that pleasure again. And it gets harder and harder to not, to resist the temptation on yeah. your own, to not satiate it. Thank you for bringing that up, because this is this is another ditch that we
2: find ourselves in, because we, we conflate earthly versus temporal, or I, I'm sorry, we conflate spiritual versus temporal consequences right. for, for sin. All, all sin is that which separates us from our maker that drives a wedge between us and God. That's the spiritual ramifications of sin. That's why we need a savior. The earthly consequences for sin uh, vary. That's the, I think that's the best yep. way to say it.
1: You bet. All right, we'll come back. I've put it off long enough. I'm going to put this program into Aaron's hands. Three non-political questions. I am concerned. We'll find out. Cause Todd's not here uh, to buffer, to, to protect Aaron from me if they're bad. Stay tuned. All right, reality check on that New Year's resolution. How's it going? Yeah, I think we both know the answer to that. All right. Particularly when it comes to what is annually the most popular of all resolutions to eat right and lose weight. Well, here's the problem. Dieting alone is really, really hard because it goes contrary to what you were doing to cause you to get overweight in the first place. Secondly, working out is great, but you can't out-train a bad diet. So it can help you with weight loss. It helps you even more and far more with your overall health. But ultimately, it's about getting your cravings under control and and your portion sizes under control because most of the time, it's not what you're eating, it's how much. And that's where Riduzone comes in. It's the only FDA-accepted product that includes OEA. That's the naturally occurring molecule that helps you feel full faster and then burns stored fat while helping you to reduce your calorie intake at the same time. If you want to try Riduzone, it is available exclusively at its website, riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, RidUZone.com. And if you go there and use my name, Steve, as a promo code, you can save up to 65% off, massive discount, up to 65% off. They'll even throw in the free shipping as well. Free shipping, up to 65% off at RidUZone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, RidUZone.com, promo code Steve. It is now time for three non-political questions.
0: That's right.
2: We need uh, a little break from Shout Your Abortion. Three non-political questions to uh, get us off of the uh, decline and fall of, of America and Western civilization. And question number one actually was a submission from a listener, and I thought it was a really good question. So, so this I'll, has a chance. So this has a chance of yep. being much better, much better than, you know, if I would have just Googled, I mean, uh, come up with questions to ask myself. <laughs> Is this on? Yes. Did I say that? Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is from Charles Maloney. When did you become a man? In some cultures, there's a rite of passage. One day you wake up a boy and the next day a man. So the question, when did you become
1: a man? That is a great question. And I've told this story before, but I think it's been several years when our oldest, Anna, Anastasia, when she was little, she came up to me one day and asked me, uh, Daddy, what's a man? And, you know, I, I did what any other parent does when they're caught back on their heels with their knickers down. I asked you, what'd you say, honey? <laughs> <laughs> to buy myself a few extra seconds. We're hoping they'd forget. <laughs> yes, squirrel. Um, and, and she said, well, what's a man? And I opened my mouth and these words came out. So I'm just going to chalk it up to Providence. I said to her, a man is somebody who loves his responsibilities and and what he's called to do more than he loves himself because he loves the people he's doing it for more than he loves himself. And then I remember thinking like, snap, that was actually pretty good, man. That was pretty good. And of course she was like five, Mm-hmm. so she looked at me pondered it for a second nodded her head and just went skipping away and i thought like we were, we had had like this moment you know she was gonna be like oh no she's like okay and just got, skipped away you know but as to when you become one i i think when you're willing to accept that mantle is when you become one and it doesn't mean dude like one of the things i've you've you've heard me always say when we get this question you're never ready to have kids never and there's never enough money right so i can just tell you guys right now if you're waiting until you're ready okay you're waiting until there's enough money now that doesn't mean by the way that um well i don't have a wife and i don't have a job you're right you're not ready and you, and you don't have enough money. All right? <laughs> but 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 I'm talking about the prolonging of adolescence. That's what I'm talking about. The purposeful desire to not step into your own shoes and fulfill your divine destiny. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a particular situation. I'm talking in a, in a macro, meta sense. You're never ready and there's never enough money. Okay, I mean, I, I make a good living. I'm not rich, but I make, doing some math here, probably five or six times what I made when, um, when Anna was born 20 years ago. And right now I feel like there's not enough money. <laughs> right? So you're, you're never ready and there's never enough money. So just get get rid of that. Okay. Part of being a man is the willingness to step into those shoes and accept that mantle, understanding that uh, it's in the arena where the, where readiness is forged. It's, it's in It's in the process of acting a man acts. It's in the process of of acting on your values and convictions that preparation is made. And I think your willingness to accept that mantle and, and understand what you're accepting and the consequences that go with it. I think that's when you become a man. That's the best answer I come up with.
2: So when did that happen for you? If you can point to a,
1: a moment or time. I think when I first stepped, you know, it's another, I had not considered that question. I think when I first really stepped into manhood is a few months after Anna was born and we had brought her home from the hospital. And I've talked about this moment before in the context of kind of how it um, set the table for my own conversion, the realization that I can't do this job, that, that, I'm not capable of giving her what she needs from me as a father. Well, Stevie just said that stepping into those shoes is what prepares the readiness. But, but I, I, I wanted to give it to her. I, I wanted to give her what, what I thought she needed as a father. I just recognized that I didn't have those tools. And that set me on the path to, having a relationship with my heavenly father. But I would say that was my first real step into manhood.
2: Yeah, I was going to, I was going to define the, the moments and that's very, all of that's very well said. I was going to find, define the moments when you become a a man and it's, it's, I don't think it's ever, well, I don't think it, I think it's rarely a uh, flip the switch moment, um, something like that. Very rarely a flip the switch moment where you you have to where you're forced you know to change. I think it's more of a gradual process. But I would say when you become a man is when you affirmatively act upon that which you just that you just described. When you affirmatively act upon your calling as a man, which is essentially if you can boil it down to one word, is sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Acting sacrificially. And when you become a man, it's when you affirmatively and willingly act upon um, uh, act from a motivation of sacrifice for those around you. And I'd say the the moment for me, and I've told this story a few times. But I don't know how else to describe it. But when I was young and growing up, youngest of five kids, and I had great parents. My my siblings were great, except for when they were giving me swirlies and telling me the uh, the stuffed fish on the wall was going to eat me. My my siblings was were great. So I all that is to say, I don't I'm I don't have any complaints or anything like that. It's just I was the youngest of five siblings, so I got to slack off quite a bit. And I don't. know. There's no way other. Uh, Other than to say I was, I was a lazy, I was a pretty lazy kid. (laughs) And I know that, uh, you know, it it provoked the ire of my, my parents. I'm sure it did multiple times, but I was, I was to varying degrees able to get away with it. And and I kind of had this sense of, of laziness and, and a bit of entitlement too, until I got my first uh, what I would call real job, where you got to be there for certain hours at a certain time. You answer to somebody, you have to deal with other people uh, and you have to put your, you know, what you would like to do aside. And then at the end of this, you get paid $7 and 25 cents every hour that you do that. Mm-hmm. And I, I stepped into that job thinking, you know what? I, I need to pay for this trip this summer. There's some things that I'd like to get. I'd like to save up a little bit of money before I go to school, you know, before I go to college. And I stepped into that job and I was good because I, I, I you know I I just wanted to I wanted to be good at it but I stepped into that job still being kind of a, a lazy in in spirit um at least at home anyway and uh I started to come I started coming to the realization that I do this for like 14 hours a week my dad does this for like 50 hours a week mm-hmm. in a factory with five times the number of people that I have to deal with in a, in in an environment that's always cold all the time, overnight, working on machines and working in a huge corporate environment. And I'm like, crap, he's been doing that for 20, 25 plus years now. And I just started this and I've been late. I've been slacking off at home that really lit a fire under my butt, and I've never been perfect at it. And I'm probably still like my downtime a little bit more than I, than I should, but that kind of lit a fire under my butt that, you know what? Uh, I'm going to start helping my parents a little bit. I'm going to start not complaining so much and uh, realizing what I have. And then acting, acting affirmatively on that in order to show that, um, you know, because that's, that's the, that should be the natural response um, to having that realization that, you know what? Um, I appreciate these people in my life, and I, I want to act upon that. So that's kind of the first instance of that, I would say.
1: When I was a child, I thought, spoke, and yep. reasoned as a child. When I became a man, I set aside childish things. Ironically, that is from 1 Corinthians, yep. uh, from the one of the very books we were just talking about in Theology Thursday. Right?
2: Yep. Uh, question number two, if you could know the absolute and total truth to one question, what question would you ask?
1: The absolute and total truth to one question. Yep the absolute and total truth to one question. Who is and isn't a false teacher? Meaning who's, who has a heart for God and is just wrong about stuff? about some stuff because we're all wrong about some stuff. I'm wrong about plenty of stuff. Do you know who, okay? who I just thought of when you were saying that? Hmm. It's Benny Hinn. Cause he is, he's, say, I, he's I'm, saying, I'm getting emails. Now. He yeah. is saying some interesting things now. Yep. And and you'll notice we, we mentioned his, you know, that him and Hillary dress alike, yep. but you, maybe people that are regular listeners to the show, you've noticed I've not been cracking back on him. Uh, by name as much recently right i've not even really this, even brought him up because i don't know i'm waiting to see right his, i'm kind of in gamaliel yeah. mode let's wait and see how it all turns out his, before we his react nephew i mean has just costi hin i
2: has just yeah. i mean has ripped him multiple times cannot stand what his uncle does and i think i saw back in september when when hin Benny hin yep. started saying some of this stuff costi was like okay let's Maybe step back and see what happens here. So even his nephew, who's been one of his most vocal critics, is yeah. saying I would back.
1: want to know who is in error and who is a deceiver. That's maybe another way of putting it. Meaning they know it, it's not that they don't know. They don't care to. They don't want to. They are wolves in sheep's clothing, because we're all in error to some extent. All of us are. We're humans. Okay. So I think I'd want to know the hundred percent unvarnished filtered unfiltered truth of that who is who's in error and then who is playing for the who's sleeping with the enemy that's what i'd want to know oh that's a
2: great question um so for me we always do this on this segment it's not a hard and fast rule but it's a general rule that whatever come, come you know pops into your gut first that's kind of what you go with and for me whatever reason it's just the more that we talk about this when when occasion arises and the more i think about this it is why are we still in afghanistan <laughs> i'm dead serious man because the opium fields i'm sorry the poppy fields i should say uh, the poppy fields and the production there i mean that the time that we've been there directly um correlates doesn't mean causation i don't know that directly correlates with the opioid e- epidemic in the yeah. The,
1: those poppy fields aren't going to opioid on themselves brother yeah
2: Okay. Yeah. So the 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 real total absolute truth to why we are still there. Uh that's something that I would like to know. Cause I don't think I mean we've been over this a million times. There's no there's no good answer for why the most powerful military on the face of the planet still has to still has to uh corral Bantha herders
1: who are throwing who are literally throwing years. rocks at you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Why yeah. why are we still there? Right. So uh question number three what's the most original plot for a film you've ever seen ever seen ever ever so really can't be based on a book
1: um oh Man well I thought the plot to Star Wars was pretty original when I saw that for the first time when I was four was or that five years old based on a book no
2: yeah so then that yeah
1: okay so that counts right that can, okay yeah you know what I want to give a nod to a movie that is that was out just last year. I'm sure if I had more time to think about it, I'd come up with something else. But again, you got to go with your gut instinct, right? Yep. Uh, I thought yesterday was masterful. Yep The the plot of that film, the way they modernized songs that are now approaching uh, a half century old and, and brought them into the 21st century with the right amount of homage, um, but also they contemporized the conversation at the exact same time yeah. and the, the overall message of, of, of rejecting materialism when it's at the extent, when it's at the expense of true meaning in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I'm a big fan of that film. I I, I love everything about it. Yep. And the plot, I just, in fact, that's what attracted me to see the movie is that is when we saw the trailer for the first time, I looked at Amy and I said, this is I can't remember the last time I we saw a trailer or a movie and I thought, wow, I've never thought about doing that. I, I can't believe they they it, thought of that it lived up to it and it lived up to yep. it. They pulled it. The, so I was in just off of the original premise, mm-hmm. but then when you see the film, they, they pulled it off. Yep. They, they made it happen. They, they stuck the landing.
2: Yeah. That's, that's on Bella and I's list of things to rewatch. Cause we saw that in theaters as well. And it's, uh, and that was going to be one of two. I, I still think though, and this movie gets panned, I think unfairly. So, but inception, I mean, that's a, I love inception. Dang. Yeah an original plot and the whole thing the whole movie is just so surreal but in a very but not in an esoteric way it really is like you're watching a dream unfold right in front of you and people say well there's plot holes guys guys it's a dream you, do, have you ever had a a perfectly plot hole feel, uh, you know plot hole full uh, free i should say dream no it's a, but I I just think the the dream within the dream within the dream that's still way up there on my list of, of most. What about movie like
1: plots. a what about a movie about a malevolent entity who launches his own social media channel to tell you about how he completely controls everything you see, watch and hear, and he just puts it right in your face. Hmm. I kind of think it sounds lame. I mean, what do you think? I, I mean, don't I, just, know. I was just thinking about that. And I thought, I don't know. Kind of sounds lame to me. I, Not original.
2: I don't know. I think, I think if you got the
1: beginning and the end, right, I, th- I think that could work. The middle might take care of itself. Yeah. Oh. No, mind. So what, what'd you learn here today, Aaron? What do you think? Well,
2: uh, going back to, uh, let's see the, the theology Thursday uh, earlier this hour, um, don't fall into the ditches uh, of the, of the, of the prevailing, of the prevailing uh, you know headwinds or I, I should say the the prevailing um, the winds of our culture don't don't fall on into, into either ditch and and for the better part of the last 30 40 years now in the united states the the main driving the main driving headwind of culture is the sexual ethic And Christians can either respond to twisting scriptures to fit the culture's uh, sexual ethic into their own framework, or they can go into the other ditch and completely uh, conform or formulate a a legalistic uh, view, which that's another conversation in, in and of itself but don't get caught up into the into either ditch when it comes to this mm-hmm. issue. And uh, I don't think this can be underscored quite enough. Corinthians is definitely, for an American believer especially, should
1: be definitely at the top of your list. It's like a how-to manual. Yeah. Or how not to, for that matter. Yep. All right, that's going to do it for today. We're going to stick around and do some overtime for our Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, back at it again tomorrow here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Until then, John 317.